Good morning and welcome. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Our Holy Gospel comes from the 25th chapter of Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to pray with me in our time of meditation together today, the Holy Spirit prayer. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit instructs the hearts of the faithful, Grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Has it occurred to you yet? Or has it, has, have you had, had the realization that we have now, as of this Sunday, we have now lived into another year in the life of the church? We have now lived into another year in the life of Jesus? We've walked with Jesus through the gospel message that was written by Matthew, along with a variety of different readings also from the gospel of John. And we have seen and we have heard Jesus coming face to face with people throughout his life and ministry. He was interacting with, speaking with, teaching, healing, feeding people throughout his ministry. We've also seen and seen through the season of Lent and Holy Week his death and heard of the resurrection being raised from the dead. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Christ, we have seen and experienced the kingdom of God coming near. 
One of the things that I've been saying for the last couple weeks is that Jesus asks us to enter into the story, enter into the parables that he speaks. And that's what Jesus is continually asking us to do each and every day of our walk of faith. Jesus is asking us to enter into the story, into his story, into the gospel story, and to engage with this living word. And I think if we're truly honest with ourselves, we can say that we have come face to face with Jesus through these gospel accounts and as we ourselves have entered into the stories. As people of faith in Jesus, we say either to ourselves or out loud or through the songs that we sing or through the confessions that we make or through the conversations and exchanges that we have with others, we say that Jesus is Lord. We say that Jesus is our Savior. We say and confess that Jesus is our Redeemer. He's the one who comforts us in our times of duress and, and loss. Jesus is our healer. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. To put it even more succinctly, what we are really saying is, is that Jesus is our King. This is Christ the King Sunday. It is the culminating Sunday in the church year. Next week, we will be entering into the new season of Advent, and the new church year will start. But today is a day that we set aside, a day that we call Christ the King Sunday. Now, there was a pulp, I don't remember what the pulp's number was, but Pope something the sixth or whatever, um, back in 1925, decided that we should change the name from Christ the King to the Reign of Christ. Um, partly because he felt that uh, this king, kingly language was not something that people were relating to. And so he felt that if we talked about the, the, the ways in which Christ reigns in the world, how Christ it lives within the context of the world. That might be a better way to rejuvenate the church. And so the reign of Christ Sunday was, was instituted back in the early 1900s by one of the popes. Again, I want to uh, address to you today, I, I think it's important for us to take some time to reflect and to go deep and to take seriously this question of what kind of king is Jesus? Now, that's a language that you and I are not very familiar with because in the United States, we don't have a kingship kind of mentality. But it's not something that's foreign to us either because we've, we've known through history that there have been all kinds of kings. But I think when we really take the time to reflect and go deep and take Jesus seriously, that we need to be asking ourselves this question, what kind of king is Jesus? What does his rule look and feel like? And what does it mean to live and thrive under the kingship of Jesus? Those are three fundamental questions that really deserve some serious, serious uh, ponder and consideration. And these are the same exact questions that people have been pondering and reflecting upon and theologizing about for years. It was interesting. I, 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 helped, a, I helped a gentleman the other day. Um, 
I gave him a ride up to Kingman so that he could catch a, catch a ride on uh, the Greyhound bus. And um, we were having some conversations about God and, and faith and all that kind of stuff on the way up. And I, I happened to use the word theology, and he goes, what is that? So I had to kind of give him a little 101 course on theology and what that means. But I want to share with you some thoughts uh, from a variety of different people who have been pondering this question of what it means to define what it means for us to follow Jesus. There's a a well-known pastor uh, in New York City. His name is Reverend James Forbes. He is the former pastor of Riverside Church in New York City. And one of the things that he says about this kingship of Jesus is he says that nobody, nobody gets to heaven without a letter of reference from the poor. Nobody gets to heaven without a letter of reference from the poor. Hmm. He says there's no other way. Our judgment in the next life will be based on how we treat the vulnerable in this life. South African Catholic priest and theologian Gustavo Gutierrez, he lived and he worked, he actually lived and worked with the poor for 50 years. And he was the author of a book 50 years ago. He wrote a book. It's actually, it's over 50 years old now. He wrote a book called A Theology of Liberation. It was one of our required readings when I was in seminary. And then in that book, he coined the term preferential option for the poor. It was a statement about our human choices, but it was also a statement about God's character. And in his book, he said that through his life of serving and working with the poor, he makes the bold assertion, it's a belief assertion, And again, we're talking about a person who has spent 50 years of his life working and living amongst the poor. We're talking about in, in Lima, Peru. He says, God is biased. He says, God is even prejudiced. Far from being neutral or impartial, he argued that God plays favorites, you might say, by bestowing special favor on the dispossessed. And he boldly challenges us in his book by saying that God asks us to do the same. Another author by the name of Gary Anderson, he wrote a book entitled Charity, The Place of the Poor in the Biblical Tradition. He wrote that Christian care for the poor isn't just a practical act of social justice, nor is it merely a sign of a believer's personal faith. He says, rather, Christian care for the poor is the privileged way to serve God. Christian care for the poor is the privileged way to serve God. Now here's somebody that all of us know and have heard about, Mother Teresa. And you know Mother Teresa, she spent years and years and years working and living amongst the poor. And she says, in serving the poor, we care for our own souls by imitating the character of God himself. Let me say that again. 
In serving the poor, we care for our own souls by imitating the character of God himself. She further goes on and she says, Only in heaven, only in heaven will we understand how much we owe the poor for helping us to love God like we should. Pretty, pretty profound stuff. We're talking about people who know what it means to live and work amongst the poor. Episcopal theologian Fleming Rutledge wrote, he said, The royalty Jesus describes in Matthew's gospel is another order entirely. It is homeless Jesus, sick Jesus, imprisoned Jesus, hungry Jesus, naked Jesus. The royalty that Jesus describes is a royalty that stoops. He further writes, he says, It is the majestic King Jesus by his own choice and volition that he has stooped and surrendered in such a way that he is the vulnerable. When we think about Jesus, Jesus is the vulnerable. He says there's no other way to get to him, period. In our gospel today, we heard Jesus say, Whatever you did to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. I think it's fair to say that for years and years and years, people of Christian influence, of all walks of denominational faith, have been not only pondering and not only reflecting, but they have been living into this kingship that Jesus asks us to live into. And this Living into that Jesus asks us to live into is the way of vulnerability. <coughs> and that goes completely against our character, isn't it? It goes against everything that we have somehow were raised up to believe in our American culture. And that's why Jesus, in many respects, is so countercultural to the, to, the, to the cultural beliefs of our own American system of life. And yet, that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to live into a kingship that lives into vulnerability. Now, I don't know what your experience has been in life, but I can tell you as a pastor, the times that I experience people the most is I experience people in the midst of their vulnerability. I, the times that I experience the most are people in the greatest times of their weakness. And I really truly believe that that's what every one of us here as people who follow Jesus, that is our call. That is our way of life. We are to enter into this kingship that Jesus asks us to live into, which is the way of vulnerability. And yet we all want to put up our false, we all want to put up our facades. Oh, we're strong. Oh, you know. We don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to show any forms of weakness or, or vulnerability. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. You know, there are varying degrees of vulnerability. But I think in the, overall theme of, in, in the overall scheme of things, that all of us here, every single one of us here, you will not escape it. I can guarantee you, you will not escape it. Every one of us here will face or live through some form of vulnerability in our lives. You cannot escape it. It's the reality of our human condition. And as Martin Luther so aptly said, we are all beggars. But he also wrote this. He says, in the midst of our vulnerability, in the midst of our weakness, 
Christ freely comes to our aid. And because Christ's aid has come to us, that we also ought to freely help our neighbor through our body and its work. And each one should become, as it were, a Christ to the other, that we may be Christ to one another, and Christ may be the same in us. That is, that we may be truly Christians. I know that sounds kind of wordy and stuff, but that's basically Martin Luther saying, basically saying, we are supposed to be little Christ to one another. We look to Jesus, we look to the life of Jesus and the life that he lived, and we say, oh, that's what it means to be a Christian. We are to reflect and mirror the life of Christ. One of the, fun, one of the fundamental theological tenets that I have come to hold on to throughout my faith journey is Luther's theology, often referred to as the theology of the cross. That is the fundamental tenet of Martin Luther's theology. It's the theology of the cross. And that, fundamental, that, that theology fundamentally at its core is this, that God regularly, even relentlessly, shows up just where we least expect God to be. And we don't expect God to be on a cross, do we? But that's where God shows up. God placed himself on the cross for you and for me. God isn't supposed to do that. Yet, yet that's where God showed us his greatest love for us, is on the cross. How deep into the life of Jesus do we need to look? How deep do we need to look? Where do we see Jesus? We see Jesus with sinners. We see Jesus with prostitutes, with the blind, the lame, with the outcast, Samaritan woman at the well. We see Jesus with a woman who's about to be stoned to death for adultery. These are only just a few of the examples of where we see Jesus. And yet God keeps showing up where we least expect God to show up. Six years ago in my sermon on this day, can you remember six years ago on my sermon? Probably not. Six years ago on my sermon on this day, I said we would do well to start each day of our lives with prayer. Well, <laughs> I certainly hope that we all start every day of our lives with prayer of some sort. And this is the prayer that I am suggesting that we start out each of our days with. Lord, make me an instrument of your love. Lord, help me to see you today in the places where I would least expect to see you and also in the people that I would least expect to see you. Lord, help me today to see with your eyes. Help me today, Lord, to feel with your heart. Lord, help me today to love with your love. Because our ability to see with your eyes and to feel with your heart and to love with your love, it only comes from the fact that you, Lord, have loved me first. And that makes it possible for me to love others. And it makes it possible for me to see with your eyes. It makes it possible for me to feel with your heart and to love with your love. And so I leave you today with these words from Deb Thomas to ponder and to consider and to act upon she says, on this Sunday, here and now, we are asked to see Jesus in places we'd rather not look. We are asked to remember that every encounter that we have with the least of these is an actual encounter with Jesus. It's not a metaphor. It's not wordplay. It's not optional. The pre person huddled beneath the blanket on the park bench 
is our King. Let's see him. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may be abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Tell what God has done. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah.